Welcome back, my friends, to the podcast that never ends. We're so glad you could attend. Come inside, come inside. I am Joe Spiegel. Mike Sutherland. All right. And uh, this time we are going to be reviewing Quentin Tarantino's ninth film, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Let's do this. Hollywood is a fickle mistress, and when it comes to film, it seems that Tarantino really actually can do no wrong. Um, everybody wants his films. They take them in. They experience them, break them down to its simplest components, and dissect them until nothing is left. As we know that Tarantino loves to steal from other films. Hell, he even writes the films down that inspire what he's currently working on, from Reservoir Dogs all the way up until his current movie, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Those are just the movies he's directed. The movies he's written are the same exact way. They all intertwine. And the movies that he's written are uh, Crimson Tide, uh, True Romance. True Romance, yeah. <laughs> they all intertwine. They have characters that connect with each other. They have relationships that connect from one movie to another. They even reference actions that happen in other movies from different genres and different di directors to connect them to the Tarantino-verse. And Natural Born Killers. Thank you. But that's not the gist of this intro. What Tarantino has done is simply amazing. He's created cinematic experiences. Seeing a Tarantino film isn't like seeing a Kevin Smith film or a Star Wars movie or Star Trek or Marvel movie or pretty much any real mainstream Hollywood film in the current generation. It feels like most of the mainstream Hollywood movies feel the same. The same style of teaser trailer with that foghorn sound, the same style of direction. The same types of characters that inhabit the film. It's all very homogenized. It's all very safe. Look at the different genres out there and see the copycat style movies that make up these films. Horror, action, adventure, sci-fi, fantasy. The big budget films that encompass those genres all pretty much have the same feel and flavor to them that is very hard to separate. But it's not so for Tarantino films. Tarantino films always feel like it's going, like going to the drive-in for the first time. Like I previously said, it's an experience. There's a feel to these movies. You can see it as plainly as the hands at the end of your arms. There's a reason for it, too. Tarantino is one of the few directors left that still shoot on film instead of digital. He uses, he, he manipulates the film digitally when he has to by adding in landmarks and whatnot. And it's the same thing as doing matte paintings in the past. Digital matte painting is basically what it is. The look of the film differs greatly from digital. It's grainy. It captures light and color differently. And... It's, imper it's imperfect, imperfect, yet perfect. That's part of the charm of Tarantino's films, grainy, blurry, different. It's not built in a film factory from digital storyboards or where every single set is just a piece of live-action background surrounded by green screen. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Everything has its place. But for Tarantino, preserving the art of film is first and foremost. And Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is his homage to that long-lost style of film. The gritty Hollywood golden age where stars were part of a contracted Hollywood system and the theme of the day was gritty police dramas, westerns, and the beginning of the end for what Hollywood was. Just after sci-fi and right before real-life dramas such as Godfather and Serpico and a couple of others, Jaws and Star Wars as well. It was a time in Hollywood when things were still kind of innocent and the whole thing was just an excuse to make movies and TV and dare I say it, take a risk with these productions to see what they could become. No real franchises, no green screens, no digital backdrops. Real guerrilla filmmaking on sets with practical effects and the love of making a product that people just wanted to see to get away from real life and let the fantasy of Hollywood's greatest actors take them for a ride. All right. So, first, what worked for you? 
Rick Dalton, who is played by Leonardo DiCaprio, and Cliff Booth, who is played by Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt um, their relationship, and it's not really a relationship. It's a relationship, but not a relationship. It's a matter of convenience, so a relationship of convenience in a way. Um, no, well, yeah, yeah in, in a way. It's like Brad Pitt feeling more relevant for you know still being involved with Hollywood one way or another. No, he has no illusion about what him and Rick are. He understands his role in their relationship. He 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 doesn't pretend to be anything other than what he is, which is a gopher. And he said that multiple times in the film. I'm just a gopher. And Rick's all like, yeah, you're more a gopher. Um, sort of friends, but it's a working relationship. And um, at the end of the movie, I think Rick understands how big of a friend, how important Cliff is to his life. But as soon as the whole Polanski thing happens to him, he kind of he kind of moves forward. You know, I'll be there for you, buddy. Uh, you know, well, what hospital are you staying at? I'll come and visit you. You know, let me get better. I'll, and then you can come to the hospital. And then as soon as he leaves, like, hey, what's going on down there, buddy? You know. Yeah, and he also totally left his wife. She's traumatized by what just happened, and he still goes in. Yep. And he's like, did you forget about your wife? <laughs> What about you? Uh, first thing that worked for me was uh, the unexpected directions that this movie went into. Because at first you think that it's going to bleed into the whole Manson cult murders, you know, and it didn't. Um, that, and that's the way that they had played it off. They didn't try to change anything in the news or anything else like yeah. that. When, when it was reported that he was working on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, it was calculated. Yeah. When they hired somebody to play Sharon Tate. They hired somebody to play Charles Manson. Yeah. But you didn't really, you know, the Polanski place and Cielo yeah, Drive. Yeah, and Bruce Lee's going to be in there, which found <laughs> I found out that Bruce Lee really did do training sessions with Polanski and Sharon Tate Correct. in real life. Yes. So um, that all that shit. So they're right there. I mean, though, it, it still makes you think, though, oh, hey, yeah, he's just going to do, you know. And look, sorry me, because I shouldn't have thought this, but I was probably like everyone else thinking, Oh, okay. He's just going to do his version of the of the Tate murders. Yep. You know, and that's what I I thought at first, and yeah. then I was just like, "Yeah, there's there's something more yeah. going on to this because yeah. the trailer doesn't even no. focus on anybody other than DiCaprio Pitt, general basically. Yeah, I mean, it shows quick uh, Margot Robbie shots. It shows a quick uh, Charles Manson shot, you know, and it shows uh, all the uh, the the chicks, you know the. Fuck, what were they called? You know, um, Charlie, Charlie's Angels. <laughs> yeah, in, a, in essence. You yeah. know, um, holy shit, I never thought of that before. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah. Anyway, the, the the so the unexpected directions were like when he went to the to the ranch to the movie ranch, and kept I kept waiting for it to like something brutal to happen, and nothing really brutal happened until he was leaving when he started punching the dude that that popped his tire. But that wasn't even that bad. So it never went in that predictable direction with that. It, but there was full attention. You know, like when Dakota Fanning was telling him about the old man, you know, Bruce Dern's, Dern's character, uh, it was, I kept thinking, okay, the guy's either dead and there's just a dead body back there or the guy's not even there at all, right? Okay. So that, um, and just other, you know, the unexpected ending, the way that happened and yeah, just all these different directions. I, it was, yeah, and just uh, everything, like with him doing the acting jobs and and with Brad Pitt going home to his trailer, because his life is completely, his home life is completely different than, than, uh, than, uh, you know, Dalton's, okay. you know, with him in the trailer. And, and so, yeah, it just, I, I, I love the fact that it focused on these two characters more than anything else and made you think otherwise. Right. 
All right. That's what I got. Your next point. No, you don't want to just back and forth? I'll, I'll, I'll do my next point, but you can go. Okay. All right. Um, the attention to all the 1960s details. Um, that's funny. I, I kind of said the same exact thing. Yeah. Um, I, I, I went more into it with cinematography. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the cinematography, yeah. the, um, the, the way the movie studios looked, the, the fact that when they were on the streets, when, they, when, when either Brad Pitt you know, was driving by himself down those streets or even Margot Robbie when she's walking down the streets going to the movie theater yep. or, or, or when Dalton is with Brad Pitt, you know, either at nighttime or daytime, I was just fascinated by how authentic it looked like. The wardrobes. Yeah. That was so amazing, the, the style and the wardrobes. And once in a while, like, there was, there was something in the movie that I caught that bugged me. Um, and it was it, it. It's one of those things uh-huh. that I totally forgot about just until now, uh-huh. which was um, a, a a flash of modern day, a flash of 2019 in one of the shots. Like it was like a fucking. It was something as simple as either a car or a billboard or uh-huh. some shit like that. There's that, something you noticed, huh? and it's at the beginning of the film. It's <clears> close <throat> to the beginning of the film. Yeah. Where uh, it just it had he caught it, but he didn't edit it out of the movie. Just like fuck it, just leave it in there and see if somebody catches it type yeah. of thing. Um, but even then, that doesn't overcome anything. I was looking for so much. I, I was looking for so much detail. I even looked at the screws that were holding some of the signs on the street on, just to see. Do those look more like modern day screws? <laughs> screws are screws. Like, I, could like I would different. fucking know. Yeah. But still, I was just, I was just looking. I was like, God, how much detail did he put into this shit? You know. I I love the fact that he did. I mean, it's it's shot on film, and you you can totally tell the difference between film and digital because yeah. film is brighter. Yeah. It's like if you watch Avengers or. Any yeah, I want to put. I'm going to put Kevin Smith up with this one, okay? Because uh-huh. I don't know if Smith works on film or digital, but I think his last two films were digital. Uh-huh. But if you look at a digital film versus a film, a a a the a celluloid piece of film, yeah, okay. Um, and maybe Kevin Smith is is the but uh, uh, Robert Rodriguez uh-huh. is perfect for this. Now, Quentin Tarantino is not averse to working digital. He did it with Sin City, and he did it with a couple of other things that he was working with other people that were directing the film on. Yeah. For his own personal movies, he is celluloid, film strip. And if you watch his movie compared to uh, anything that Robert Rodriguez has done uh, recently, let's say in the last 10 years, okay, the difference, uh, Battle uh, Alita, Battle Angel, mm-hmm. he directed that. And if you take those two and put them side by side, you can tell uh, the huge difference between what digital is and what what celluloid is. Well, yeah, and the perfect example is when they made um, the Grindhouse together. Yeah, and they used when they, when you see all the scratches on the film to make it look like it was old. Yeah. and gritty. They really did that. They really actually fucking scratched the the film on the ground and stuff. Right. To but, make it look that way. But I, I think, I wonder if, uh, I wonder if, because you can add that in digitally. Yeah, you can, but they didn't. But I wonder if yeah. Robert Rodriguez did that uh, as opposed to Tarantino. I don't. Well, I mean, what if they did that on purpose? Like, I'm going to do digital. You're going to do your celluloid. Let's put them together and see if we can make a film. Uh-huh. And and keep it consistent between yeah, the I, two. Yeah, I did notice that because I I've watched um, Planet Terror and Grindhouse, or I've watched the Grindhouse 
at least 10 times so far. And they both look hand in hand, the same kind of style of, okay. of film. So, so yeah. And then, um, and all of the late sixties TVs and movies that they were doing Lancer, <laughs> um, which is a real movie, yeah. a real TV show, um, Mannix, FBI, uh, that one, that weird dance, uh, one hullabaloo. Where, yeah. Um, and a couple of others that, uh, but everything about this movie, the way that it's directed, the way, I mean, not just directed, the way that it's filmed. Yeah. The, the overhead shots, the crane shots, you know, the establishing shots, the close-ups, you know, everything in this film, it, to me, is fantastic. It, and yeah. I think it's mostly the color. Do you know how good you have to be as a filmmaker to keep someone like my attention when I hate that era? I can't stand the style of it. I can't stand the music. The, the really? way that I, I just, I've ne it's never been my thing. Just like the, a lot of the 70s, I can't stand the the, the music they used in movies. Um a lot of horns and stuff, you know. I, um, I that's weird. I just have never been into that style, and the fact that they can make a movie, like like Tarantino can make a movie set in that time period where I fucking didn't care. I didn't because he played a. Oh, this will bleed into my cons, but um, there, there's a lot of songs I did not fucking like. I don't like, and I don't like them in this movie, but they still work because. You know, it fits with the era, the time period. All right. So, uh, you know, I so if you can make a movie that in a time period that I don't care for at all, and I still want to watch it, that's that's good filmmaking. Yep. You know, um, I wanted to add uh, 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 one more thing: the whole uh, Cliff Booth scene where we learn about his past mm -hmm. is very reminiscent of Natalie Wood's death on a boat. Oh, okay. And water. that was who Rebecca Gayhart played. He, she played the wife. Right. Yeah. Uh, on the boat in the water on vacation. Uh-huh. That that is obvious. That I did is not notice that. You're throw, right. throw throw away. <laughs> it's yeah. not a throwaway scene. It's a throwback to yeah. that whole thing happening between Walken and Wood and and um Robert Wagner. Robert Wagner. Yeah. I want no, to make sure that I got uh, number two. Number two. <laughs> and um of course uh, Bruce Lee, Sharon Tate, and Roman Polanski. Yeah. Uh their characters were really, really well done. We're oh. down to the name of the dog, but we've both watched the uh we both watched the fucking Tarantino stuff yeah. on, on YouTube, so I did. We could catch up because it's so hard. We don't have like we don't when we go to the movies. Mm -hmm. I don't carry a pad of paper with me. No, ever. I just memorize as much as I can and take it all in. And if the stuff that I can't memorize, I'll catch up on YouTube in a couple of days. Yeah, exactly. It, so it took and it took um, up until the release of the movie yeah. to finally get the fucking soundtrack on Spotify. <laughs> and that and this whole thing goes into my next um, pro for the movie, which is um, out of all the actors in the film that stood out, Brad Pitt for me stood out the most. I, I every time I see Brad Pitt in the movie, I fall in love with him as an actor even more. I, I've always wanted to hate Brad Pitt because he's the pretty boy. I like Legends of the Fall. Yeah, you're like, fuck Brad Pitt. <laughs> fuck you and that, all the pretty bitches you yeah, get. Yeah, <laughs> that, that fucking guy is he's like looking doing an interview and they're like asking him about his body. He's like, yeah, I don't even work out. It's just natural genetics. Like, fuck you and your fucking six pack, you dick. Yeah. Uh, it's like, but. You want to hate on him, I, but you can't. I have a man crush on Brad Pitt yeah. as much as I have a man crush on David Batista. I used to call for like 15 years. I always called him Brad Armpit, and I can't anymore. I respect him too fucking much. Yeah. <laughs> so because and he's not afraid to like he did Mr. and Mrs. Smith, yeah. and then you know he did an interview with the vampire. Yeah, but uh, he did a shit movie, uh -huh. and he still has a great uh, you know fucking attitude. I'm sure like 
when when look, Interview with a Vampire is not, in my opinion, is not that good of a movie. I love that movie, and and the whole thing is just farcical <laughs> in in terms of what they could have really done with the yeah. movie. But but that's neither here nor there. Um, Brad Pitt has been in two Tarantino films, three really, but two Tarantino films, Inglorious Bastards mm-hmm. and this one, right? And he he did Ocean's Eleven, Twelve, and Thirteen. Yeah, he did Ocean's Eleven. And how did you not like his character? He was always eating. Yeah, he was a he's a fucking great actor. I loved him when he fucking showed up in Deadpool Two. Yeah. <laughs> no speaking lines. How, he just how, gets electrocuted. Yeah, he That's gets it. killed. He's yeah. the invisible guy. Yeah. How how do you not like him at all when he just randomly just appears? I, I just... Like in fucking movies that you don't expect him to, him yeah. to be in. Yeah. He, like I didn't expect him to be in Inglorious Bastards and all of a sudden it's like, <laughs> God damn. Yeah. Yeah. Fucking great, dude. He's, um, he's up there, man. He's my favorite actor. He's It's got to be. Kurt Russell's voiceover. Really worked for me because some people complained about that. Well, how? How the fuck do you complain about Kurt Russell's voiceover when it's I, taking you in one direction and the movie's going in another? I direction? don't know. It didn't bother me at all, so I don't understand that. Yeah, but what? The like it's part, a documentary. The thing. weird part though is I didn't even think about this, but when we were watching it, but Kurt Russell plays a stunt, you know head stunt coordinator, and he played stuntman Mike, of course, in Death Proof, and then Zoe Bell, who played herself as a stunt you know stuntman in Death Proof. Um, she uh, she plays his wife, who's the head stunt coordinator. Okay, you know, it, it just I didn't even think about. It. I mean, even though I I know they were in the other movies and stuff, it just it's the first thing I thought of when I saw him on the film. He's I, wearing the same fucking jacket. I just I wasn't thinking about the whole stunt connection at the time. Ah, okay. Um, yeah, his voiceover in the movie. I'm um, sorry. I'm sorry. I meant that he was married to, to Zoe Bell's character. The fact that they were married when she fucking kills him at the end of Death Proof. That's what threw me off. I didn't even think about it at the time. But they're not married in Death Proof. No, that's what I mean. They're married in this movie, but yet, you know. But Death Proof happens after this movie. I know. I'm saying that I didn't even think about connecting the two being in Death Proof together at the time I was watching this movie. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, Yeah, his voiceover, uh, as he's telling the whole, as he's doing this voiceover, he's doing it in, in, in in a way that's like, um, Bad shit's about to go down. Sharon Tate's about to get killed. Type yeah. Of thing, right. And it's, you know, that documentary style where, you know, it's 1149 and this and this and this and this are going to happen. Right. And, you know, Sharon Tate goes to El Coyote and, you know, at the same time, Rick Dalton and Cliff Booth go here and and you're expecting all this stuff to happen. That's what I liked about it. That's what I loved about the, the voiceover. It, it takes you in one direction. The film is going in another direction. Yeah. And that's that's simple bait and switch, and he and it, Tarantino's writing was so on spot with that, and the way that uh, Kurt Russell did the voiceover with that really throws everybody off. It's yeah, fucking phenomenal. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, number four. All right. Uh, the this film is a slow build to a great payoff. Uh, it doesn't do what would be expected with other Tarantino films where he's got to have an action scene every 20, 30 minutes or something. Instead, it, it I mean, there's a couple action moments, but not, there isn't a, you know, it, they're short and they're quick for the most part. Even the fight with Bruce Lee and Brad, Brad Pitt isn't long. You know what I mean? Right. So 
the fact that this movie is like a like I said, it's a slow build, and and then the, when you get to that ending, I mean, and it just balls out fucking crazy. It, it's great. It, it it makes it even better that way because of it. Because yeah. if the whole movie was full of action and then you had that ending, it wouldn't have hit the same way. It wouldn't have. I see. I went in, the, in a in a different way with that. Uh-huh. Um, I like the fact that Tarantino showed the difference between the haves and the have-nots, uh-huh. where Cliff is driving a piece of shit Carmen Ghia, but he's driving his boss's car, which is a caddy, right? Yeah. And then, you know, he'll stay He'll stay in the Hollywood home. He'll, I don't mind staying in his place, you know, while you're out and doing this. And he's, this eating, and uh, he's eating macaroni and fucking cheese and giving his dog that shitty-ass dog food. Yeah, made from, made from real, what was, it, what was the first one? It was made from, there was one that was made from rat, and there was one that was made from like real possum or something I like that. Yeah, it's called Wolf's Tooth. Though, yeah, Wolf's Tooth. Yeah. It's really funny. <laughs> but he lived in a trailer, you know, next to an oil derrick, right? And then you know, behind the Van Nuys driving. Yeah. And again, I mean, it's the disparity mm-hmm. between the two. You know, one lives in an opulent fucking mansion, and one lives in a fucking trailer, a shithole of a trailer. Yeah. And 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 the, and the other thing is, is who's happy and who's not. Brad Pitt ultimately. Is happier, yeah, than DiCaprio's character. He's also like his dog, if you think about it, because even though he's calm and subdued the entire time, right? Anytime he needs to jump into action, he fucking does it. Like when he had to get on that roof, see how quick he jumped up that wall, right? But uh, you know, or do you remember how like his dog would sit there and wait and wait and wait, and then all of a sudden, and then boom, right? In a way, him and his dog kind of went hand in hand with each other, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think that. Um, the way that's that it's all paired up as well, you know, DiCaprio being by himself mostly, you yeah, know, and, and with his own thoughts, wallowing in his own self pity, exactly. And yeah. and then then you see um, Sharon Tate and her life, and that she's she's kind of happy, but she's not happy. She surrounds herself with people that make her happy, and then and then it goes into the other direction where it shows um, Steve McQueen, you know, who wishes, you know, but if wishes were fishes, we'd all have trout, right? Yeah, and then. And then you, then on the opposite end of that is the whole Charles Manson Spawn Ranch thing, where they're not happy, but they're not. I mean, they're living in misery. They're living. They're wallowing in squalor, yeah, in squalor. But they're not unhappy. Yeah, because they have they have direction technically. Yeah, through of, Charlie. Yeah, in, in a sense, but we never really see that. So, and then and, and then um, even on the sets, you can see the difference between who's in a good mood, mm-hmm. who's happy, who's not happy. Yeah. And that's, that's, there's a, I like that, that line that he worked with that whole thing. Um, apparently there is, um, somebody like Paul Rudd was going to play like fucking Burt Reynolds or some shit like that. Uh-huh. Uh, Turd Ferguson. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, what's your fifth one? Uh, the film is always funny and it's always intriguing. Uh, it, it doesn't ha- even have to be in your face with the humor at all. It's just tongue-in-cheek in a way with with the way the characters are interacting with each other uh that whole scene where where pitt and bruce lee are fighting is fucking hilarious uh-huh. um and just oh god damn every time that that <laughs> that uh, dicaprio is just so hard on himself like when he goes back to the trailer and he's just screaming at himself and throwing that fit it's fucking great <laughs> he is he is a great actor he is an absolutely great actor yeah he's another guy that you're just like i 
goddamn Leonardo DiCaprio's in another movie? Fuck yeah. that guy. Yeah. And just like, he's a pretty boy. What? what is he doing? Fuck him in Titanic. Well, I mean, look. And then all of a yeah. sudden, he's just like, you know what? I really like him. Yeah, the first time I, I recall ever seeing him was in Romeo and Juliet. Gilbert Grape for me. It, you know, I'm sorry. You know what? It might have been Gilbert Grape. It might have been. I just can't remember what times I watched he, those. He was more noticeable in Romeo and Juliet. Yeah. I think that's the one yeah. that kind of elevated him. Yeah. Even though it's that movie sucks. I love that movie. Ugh, that movie is shit. A scratch. <laughs> Fuck that movie. It's just not your style, man. No, it's not. Um. So yeah, but uh, yeah. Then uh, I started watching all the movies around them, like Basketball Diaries and and Titanic and whatever else. Yeah. And uh, but yeah, I, I just I try to think back when I watch him now. I try to think back to when he was a kid, you know. And I can't see. I he's the same guy, but he's not the same guy. He has matured so much. You know that I would fucking hope so. He's in his forties. It's just he he broke out of that 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 stigma of of young actors. You know what I mean? Because yeah, yeah, that's true. Because he looked like he could have had a baby face forever. Well, no, I mean he broke out of the stigma of being a child actor who didn't mm-hmm. succumb to like Peter Billingsley. Yeah, who didn't succumb <laughs> to you know drugs and 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 I'm sure he had his moments, but again, he didn't succumb to that. He didn't. He's not a He's a party animal. He's a fucking party animal. There, I've heard some good stories. Yeah, because um, he lives behind the Hyatt, or he lives at one point uh, the Hyatt on Sunset Strip. Yeah, and he would come down from his house to the Hyatt and just fucking drink and drink and drink with his buddies. Mm-hmm. So that was uh, that's. There's a couple of stories surrounding that whole thing, but you know, I mean, it's nothing big. It's not like you, you got a hooker and fucked her, you know, fucked her in the butt. You know, on on the on the roof, on the glass roof. But yeah, hey, I'm sure he's done that. This reminded me. I I just started watching. Um, I watched first three episodes of The Boys on Amazon, and there's an episode where he goes into a. I, I, I I'll just. <laughs> anyway, go ahead. Yeah, we're we we need to focus on this. I I know what you're saying, but write it down for for after after the the, the review. So that way we can just kind of keep this going. All right. So uh, what uh, what is your con? What? I don't have. I haven't even done my fifth one yet. All right, well, nerd. Um, what worked for me is the overall story. It's nice that we didn't get a rehash of the Tate Manson murders. Um, it throws a lot of left hand turns into the movie. One of them is Cliff Booth is a fucking badass. You don't see it until it happens, and where he, where he punches that dude. And says, change the fucking tire. You know, yeah. that's my boss's car. Now, if that my car, wouldn't be a big deal. That's my boss's car. Now you're going to change the tire. Yeah. And he walked right over that guy. And the guy, the guy's all fucking trying to man up on me. Just doesn't even wait. Just punches. No hesitation. Him and punches him and punches him. Well, I mean, and he's like, if you fucking bitches come any closer to me, I'm going to knock his teeth out. Yeah. Not them. His. Yeah. You know. Yeah, because he's he respectful of a lady kind of thing. Yeah, and then they then they call for Tex, um, and Tex comes running in, right? And and fucking Pitt's all driving off. You can hear the music, and he's kind of whistling. He's yeah. just like, whoop, 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 right? Yeah, and then kind of six months later. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the not blow job scene while going to Spawn Ranch. We had talked about this in the theater, which is most people would take her up on that offer. Probably, but Cliff Bruce's character because he's he's just different. Yeah, didn't Tex in the wrong house? That whole scene at the end of the movie, which well, I don't want to get into right now because 
we haven't but the uh the end scene instead of going to Polanski's house and I'm going to Dalton's house and that was a big mistake. Uh Brad Pitt's trailer life and driving to Panorama City. It's not him getting to his trailer or his dog or whatever else. And that's that's a special relationship in that movie, which is really fantastic. Yeah. It's him leaving Dalton's house and driving, and that's just what I call the Hollywood tour. Driving from his house all the way down to Panorama City, you know, and seeing all the lights and and, and the um I can't remember the name of the place that he had passed, but it's the 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 Dutch, the 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 um, the Dutch windmill house. Okay, uh, not house, but the Dutch windmill place, and all of the lights and and uh, when the lights go on at night, you know they're, they're at the at the Cinerama, and in fact they actually had um, they had a reference to Quentin Tarantino's place, uh, the Beverly Cinema, uh-huh. which is where they were holding the the porn. <clears throat> The, the porn premiere? Yeah. The dirty movie? Oh, I didn't know they had premieres for dirty movies. Do you remember when they were sitting in the... Um, I can't remember what scene it was, but they were sitting in a restaurant and it had those red seats, those red cushy seats. That That's... that's It's either in um, Italy or uh, it was at the uh, Franco Moose. Yeah, and it reminded Fra- uh, me... Musso and Frank. It reminded me of the scene from Jackie Brown when, when Samuel Jackson and Pam Greer are sitting there in that in that bar. I love right. that. I love that fucking style, dude. I I want I want a place underground that looks like that there's um not uh, i don't want to get too sidetracked there's yeah. a bar here in loomis that actually has those types of oh, fuck it. oh i want to go um <laughs> yeah so and, and of course the one thing that i think we're, everyone is overlooking pacino as the agent schwarz yeah fucking phenomenal that is hands down his best role ever really it's better than it's better than scarface better than heat Better than he great ass. It's better than <laughs> scent of a woman because it's it it's a short amount of film where he gets a lot of dialogue uh-huh. and him explaining to Dalton that his fucking career is over. Yeah, because you keep getting these bit parts. Utterly fantastic uh-huh. without having to be a fucking dick about it. Yeah, you just like telling him what's going on yeah. and like, do you? Oh. That's the and that fucking scene also has one thing that bothers me. DiCaprio is drinking water, uh-huh. so he comes to the table with his glass of whatever he's having, with gin and juice, whatever yeah. vodka with a splash of of soda, right? And sets his drink down. Drink disappears. Huh. He's, then he's drinking water. Then the drink comes back, and then the drink disappears after a little bit, and he's drinking water again. That was a mistake. That that I can forgive because you didn't even notice it. But I noticed it immediately. I went, where the fuck did his drink go? Uh-huh. And it bothered me for the whole scene. I'm like, where is his fucking drink? And then he, all of a sudden he has his drink back in his hand. And then he's drinking water again. I'm like, why does the drink keep disappearing? Knowing Tarantino, it's either because the scene got cut down or because he intentionally did it. That's the only it, thing. It's not intentional. That's, that's a... Uh, that's that's a continuity problem uh-huh. that they fucked up on. And I'm fine with it. Fine, whatever. It's so minor. Yeah. But that whole entire scene, as I'm listening to Pacino do his, to his dialogue, and I'm just like, where's his fucking drink? <laughs> Why isn't he drinking his drink? Yeah. And then he's eating a cherry at one point. Uh-huh. And then everything else. So, uh, and yeah, so I already told about the tour of Hollywood, which is Brad Pitt. Hey, oh, and you notice the misdirection the film did. 
with even when going back to Pacino's character when he's with his wife at home and they're watching the news. Uh-huh. Like they made the whole fucking thing look like it was going to go right into the murders and it never did. Right. It just kind of yeah. cuts away. Yeah. And and then even the radio stuff. Yeah. With the radio, you hear you hear, you know, news going on on the radio with KHJ. That's the other part that I loved about this movie is authentic DJs, Don Steele, the real Don Steele. <laughs> yeah. Drink a little water. That's 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 drink a little water. I'm the real Don Steele here on blah 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 KHJ. I'm like, "Fuck yeah, that's that's how they do it." And they did the intros. He 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 ran right through up into the he yeah. did the uh he ramped up the post. So when we're watching the fucking movie <laughs> and Brad Pitt is dri- drives home to DiCaprio's place to fix his antenna. Uh-huh. He's listening to KHJ and the guy is talking and he ramps up the post right to the beginning of the fucking song. It's it's awesome. I I love that shit cuz you know Don and Mike and whatever else. Yeah. But I that's that immediately threw me into the whole cuz cuz those two guys used to do that and play their tapes and whatnot and and, and Don's tape would sound just like Don Steele uh, on, and I don't know if that was Don Steele but those guys on KHJ where it just this that that AM sounding yeah. high pitched <coughs> fucking um, uh, DJ voice. Yeah. Um, now there was another misdirection and this wasn't intentional. This is just what I got out of it was when the movie ended I thought that it was going to be a surprise that it wasn't really over and it still had like another 45 minutes to go. Mm. And But it wasn't. It was because the movie was so entertaining from start to finish that that two hours and 40 fucking minutes went by like that. There was a moment that I was watching the film. Like I got lost in the film uh-huh. and then something pulled me out of it. And it wasn't it wasn't the movie in and of itself, but it was something that happened in the theater. It was just mine. Like somebody moved their head or something. Someone like stood that. up or something and it fucking threw me off. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm watching the movie, and I got I got pulled into the movie, and like the fucking the entire because where we were sitting, and and I hated where we were. That's part of it that that really threw me off is I hated where we were sitting because the seats because we were sitting in the handicap spots, and the seats in front of us are a little bit higher and cut off the bottom. So you can of the see fucking, the top of people's heads. Yeah, so it's so that's what kind of like so I'm watching it, and all of a sudden I'm, I was I was completely mentally aware of it too. I was just like watching the movie and then all of a sudden I come out of it I'm like oh man now I need to get back into it and I and I did for a couple minutes but the it got to the point where DiCaprio was on the plane coming back from Italy and it pulled me out I'll tell you because what, of the music I had an opposite moment with that the scene where where Sharon Tate Margot Robbie is at the movies watching her own movie uh-huh. someone in front of us stood up Oh. And it was and it was go it was a perfect timing because it was just like when she was watching the movie. And I really wanted to kill I really wanted to punch Quentin Tarantino on this one, not kill him. Just punch him because of the goddamn feet. <laughs> I laughed the I was first just, time. I was fucking laughing yeah. every time they yeah. showed the fucking oh, feet like, on like, the screen. Yeah, when, like, when oh. the young girl when the young girl is in the car with Pitt and she's rubbing her feet on his fucking windshield. Oh my god. And I just I was laughing. You did you hear me snicker? Yes. Because I knew that you were just like, motherfucker. I was just I was just I was giggling, but I was just like, get your fucking dirty feet off my dashboard, you bitch. <laughs> That's just how I feel. Yeah, and then, and then then they had to have at least one more foot scene. Where yeah, it wasn't one more. There was like five <laughs> between hers and Margot Robbie's feet. And yeah. Fucking her feet again. And then uh, 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 Dakota Fanning fucking pointing with her feet. Look, 
You've got to be a huge Buggy Quentin Bitch. Tarantino fan for you to be able to get through his movies and, and with dealing with the feet the way you hate fucking feet. Oh God! Yeah. And still, it doesn't bother you enough to 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 walk away. Exactly. No, it, it. I I am such a fan of fucking Quentin Tarantino stuff that I just accept it. Yeah. Don't it, don't watch Death Proof again then. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> uh, what didn't work for you? Okay, and this is this is mostly pulling out of left fucking field. Um, yeah, I mean, we had to stretch on this stuff. Definitely, because there, there's hardly any negatives on this fucking movie. I'm pretty sure that um, you and I are on the same page with this. Yeah, um, the some of the songs that they used, and I didn't write them down, but some of the songs were annoying. Um, um, there was uh, Cream. There was uh, I. It was um, I feel. I feel fine. I think that's the name of the. Yeah, song. I just I there's certain songs that I fucking hate. And from that time period, and that I just don't care for at all. I, I really, don't. I didn't. There were some songs that that were on the soundtrack. There was a great version of um, um, California Dreamin'. I've never heard before, and I don't like that song. It's overplayed. I love the song, but it's overplayed, so I don't want to hear it very often. But that version that we heard in the movie, I loved it. It was great. Yeah, uh, let's see if we can get a track list of this. And it was you could tell it was from an artist from that time period. So. I can't remember who it was off the top of my head right now, but and we'll, I will see it in just a second. But uh, Treat or Right, um, which is Roy Hedden Traits. I'm not playing any of these fucking songs. So I'm um, Paul Revere and the Raiders, Hungry, which I haven't heard. I hate that fucking song. I haven't heard Paul Revere and the Raiders in a long time. How could you hate it? They don't even play it on the radio. It's the style of it. Son of a Loving Man by the Buchanan Brothers. Buffy St. Marie, The Circle Game. Um, Jose Feliciano. Uh, okay. California Dreaming, which is the the version that you like because yeah. uh, the Mamas and the Papas, and I'm not a fan of the Mamas and the Papas, but you know the um uh you keep me hanging on by Vanilla Fudge. Um, Vanilla Fudge was one of those bands that I I love, but it's just you don't hear them much. Come on, you know what? Fuck you, Rolling Stone. Had, <laughs> had enough of Rolling Stone. I just want a list of. But yeah, Treat or Right, The Green Door by Jim Lowe, performed by Leonardo DiCaprio. That's the one on Hullabaloo. I'll Never Say Never to Always, which is a Charles Manson song, which is a song that the girls were singing as they were walking. When they were going through the dumpster. Yeah. Uh, Mrs. Robinson, The Letter by Joe Cocker, which surprised me because, again, Quentin Tarantino surprises me when it comes to um, music. Uh, and I'll get to one that really surprised me here in a second. Uh, the letter by this is already the summertime by Billy, St- Billy Stewart. Funky fanfare by Keith Manfield. Here's a song that gets me: Rambling Gambling Man by Bob Seger and the Silver Bullet System. The Bob Seger System. Okay, that's fine. Uh, Bob Seger and the Silver Bullet Man. The House That Jack Built by Aretha Franklin. MacArthur Park by Robert Goulet. Paxton Quigley's Had the Course. Chad and Jeremy. Hush by Deep Purple. Son of a Loving Man Buchanan Brothers. Choo Choo Train by The Box Tops. Kentucky Woman by Deep Purple, Good Thing, Paul Revere and the Raiders, Time for Living, The Association, Hungry by Paul Revere and the Raiders, which Joe hates, The Circle Game by Buffy St. Marie, Jenny Take a Ride by Mitch Ryder and uh, the Detroit Wheels, which is the, uh, I believe it's the C.C. Ryder song. I think there was at least five songs that played in this movie that I've never heard before. Yeah, I Can't Turn Loose, Soul Serenade, Bring a Little Lovin', Brothers Love Traveling Salvation Show by Neil Diamond. Hey, Little Girl by D. Clark. Mr. Sun, Mr. Moon by Paul Revere and the Raiders. God damn. Don't Chase Me Around. California Dreamin'. Dreamin'. Dynamite Jim by uh, that's 
i cantore moderni di Alessandroni. Uh, out of Time by the Rolling Stones. Straight Shooter by the Mamas and the Papas. Oh, I forgot about that during the end credits. <laughs> Shit. 12.30, the Mamas and the Papas. Snoopy versus the Red Baron by the <laughs> Royal Guardsmen. You Keep Me Hanging On by uh, Vanilla Fudge. I thought they had a Cream song in there, but I, I keep getting Hush mixed up with Cream, which is Deep Purple and Cream. Batman, obviously. Judge Roy Bean's theme. <laughs> Miss Lily Langtree. They even had a radio soundbite of uh, Burt Ward and Adam West. Yep. Which was know, cool. On KHJ. So, and then there's, that's the scene right there. Yeah. Yeah, you can say I carry his load. <laughs> <laughs> so great. Yeah, and speaking of carrying load, remember we both thought that there was going to be like some, like behind closed doors uh, sexual relationship between Pitt and DiCaprio that never was there. Right. Which I, I thought that was going to be a, a little twist in the story, but. Yeah, so, um, all right, what, what else didn't work for you? Um. Even though I, I'm pretty sure I know what the message of the film is, um, still, it, it could be a little confusing trying to think of all of what the message that this film is trying to say when it comes to the Hollywood system from that time period and also now. Does this film need on, to have a message? It's Tarantino, man. It, it, he's he's saying something sometimes. I, I mean, you know, it's, I mean, he's having fun, of course, doing what he does, but it's it seems like there is something to say here. It's I just, mean, the, do... When when you go see a Quentin Tarantino film, do like I don't has he ever told anybody that these films have a message? Uh, not 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 off the top of my head, no. Um, but with this one, it seemed like by him purposely changing, like what 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 DiCaprio's character is going through in the Hollywood system, you know, him as an actor, as a good as a as a popular actor now on, now in his downfall, quote unquote, and then the whole changing the whole Sharon Tate thing. Um, it just seemed like there was, he was in a way making some kind of a statement. Like what? Uh, I think you're reading into it, but I just want to know. What was it? Um, that uh, I think that, okay, uh, I put this in my review, which is in, in, for an over glorified situation, like, uh, like the whole Sharon Tate murder, the whole, you know, Manson family murders, the uh him doing something completely different like it's like the wishful thinking of people that watch movies the fantasy of it of changing things that really happened that's what hollywood does they change things sometimes they overglorify things to make something that something bad that happened to make it worse you know just for entertainment value but this time he did something different he gave a happy ending to a tragedy and you know um and changed everything around i don't think that's a I don't think he was doing it as a morality story. He wasn't giving a message. He was kind. Of, okay, he was kind of giving a message, but he's not. He ended the movie a, as a in a typical Hollywood movie. What usually happens in a typical Hollywood movie when you know you every, usually get a happy ending. Yeah, you get a happy ending, right? Yeah, no pun intended. But yeah, you get you get the happy go lucky. Yeah. Everybody survives. But you get a happy ending on Helter Skelter. You know what I mean? So that's, I mean, Do you? it almost seems like, I mean, look at it. Everything's optimistic at the end, right? The relationship between right, Brad but Helter Skelter didn't happen. That's so. what I mean. So they changed it. He changed it on intentionally. Well, again, he changed it, but that doesn't mean that that doesn't happen later on, you know? So who knows? I, I look, I, I'm yeah. right there. I understand what you're saying. Yeah. You know, um, uh, I'm not, I, I, you know, I don't have an issue with it or anything else like that. I, I disagree with the um that Quentin Tarantino has a a uh is trying to tell you something yeah whereas i think that 
uh, it, you know, it, that it doesn't go any deeper than um, I'm going to, it's once upon a time in Hollywood mm-hmm. and I'm going to tell a story and the story is going to start like this, but it's not going to end on a bad note where everybody fucking kills each other and, you know, suicide and this and that. Yeah. It's going to end on a happy note because that's how Hollywood did it in the 60s. Hmm. Everything was ended on a good note. Everybody, the bad guy, win, the, the good guy wins, the 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 spurn dude gets the hot chick, the hot, the the nerd chick turns into a hot girl who finds her true love, et cetera, et cetera. The has-been makes a comeback. Exactly. The has-been makes a comeback. <clears throat> I, and I think that's kind of, that's the message that he was trying to, to, to impart. But I think it's also um, that he intentionally wanted people to think it was going to be one way and it wasn't. Yeah. That's, I, and I agree with that. Um, so what didn't work for you? Uh, <laughs> Other than the Paul Revere and the Raider song. Where the fuck was Sam Jackson? Yeah. Where the fuck was he? I, I doing Avengers. I, you know what? If you think about it, were there any black people in this movie at all, except at the Playboy Mansion? <laughs> I, I think that was intentional. I think he did that intentionally because of um, the Hollywood at that time. You know what I mean? Well, Sidney Poitier and Bill Cosby and Richard Pryor, and a whole bunch of others at the Playboy Mansion, right? Yeah, but I mean, there was still there was a lot of black people in Hollywood too. So, well, that's what I mean. I just named this, three of them, but that doesn't mean. But that, in this movie, you know. You know, just it seemed like he intentionally, you know, like yeah, like, like maybe it was keeping up the whole facade of the fantasy of movie watching where oh white everybody's people, white yeah yeah because and then look at the only time you saw someone of of a, of a different color was like when uh, Margot Robbie went to the movies and uh-huh. then the usher guy was like Indian well or he, was, he was uh, he was I don't think he was the usher I think it was the theater manager he seemed to be like a, like head usher maybe or uh, possibly I, he could have been the owner I'm pretty sure she said theater manager when. She called him. It could have been, but but he was in it still. He was in a role of service, right? Exactly. So that that's I think that Tarantino and, and the fact that no one is saying anything about it is blowing my mind. Carson means boy, <laughs> yeah, because usually they, they you know they're already jumping down Tarantino's throat every time he makes a movie. Okay, now. what didn't work for you in this movie? Um, that it's not my favorite Quentin Tarantino movie. Why? Um, I, let me let me go back. Yeah, it doesn't have to be. In your review, you said it's not one of your favorite Quentin Tarantino. Yeah, I said it's not his best film. That's what I said. Yeah, and I want to know what makes you believe that. Not um, think it. What yeah. makes you believe it? It's that's a different. It's there's a difference. Yeah. Well, what I should have wrote in when in the review, I should have changed the word, and the word should no. have been nope, not his best film, but not my favorite of his films. Okay, why isn't it one of your favorites of his films? Because this doesn't have the replay value of say pulp fiction or uh django or uh this is more i don't know i disagree i think it has just as much replay value as pulp fiction i think it because right now after this is off of first impression um you know seeing it one time i bet you if i go back now with no expectations it might be different probably because i'm going to buy this it's a fucking great movie this is this and us are my two favorite movies of the year so far right okay there there was a there was a guy that fucking wrote about how he hated this movie this movie sucks <laughs> this everything about this movie is yeah. shit yeah fuck quentin tarantino yeah well fuck this guy i, I well you know, I, you know. And, you know, how dare he you know have sharon tate be happy and live at the end of this movie like fuck go, go make really? your own, then go make your fucking movie and do yeah. it that way you go, want go make your version of once upon a time in Hollywood, yeah. douche so um he had a story 
story to tell, and yeah. he was telling it in a specific way. So also why this wouldn't be in my my favorites of his film, even though it's well done, it's extremely well done. Um, I there's not as many characters in this movie that I love as much as the multiple amounts of lovable characters um, in his other films that are more that I like more. What if Django Unchained was a movie within the Quentin Tarantino universe, and that's where they filmed. That's where they they were filming Django Unchained on, because that's where they they literally filmed Django Unchained on the set that they were filming uh, Lancer on. Yeah. Okay. So what didn't work with the fucking movie? You still haven't answered that question. That I just say it. What's written down? What do you I have written down? I don't. That's it. I told you. I, I only wrote down four things. I couldn't even. I had to force myself to even try to find a negative. This is most of the time I can find negatives in a movie. But with this one, it's very difficult. Bruce Dern. You had a problem with Bruce Dern? I had a problem with that scene. I Bruce Dern and the whole Spawn Ranch scene, it felt last minute because huh. uh, Tarantino loves Bruce Dern. And um, oh, he was going to use Burt Reynolds Burt Reynolds, movie, yeah. But Burt Reynolds died. Yeah. Um, however, I just felt that that whole, that whole sequence between where Pitt picks up the girl, brings her to Spawn Ranch, and then goes in. Like there's no back, there's no real backstory. They there is no connection. That's where that's the problem. There's I think it was no a fi- connection. It was a filler a filler scene. Uh, that's that's exactly what even it though felt it was like. good, it was still good. But you're right, it is a filler scene if you think about Look, it. Look, we're stretching on what didn't yeah. work here. Um, like the Sharon Tate going to the movie. Yeah, and that was directly related to Tarantino <clears throat> going to the movie. So he fil- he put that scene in there because that actually happened to him. Yeah. Um, the text character, I. I do have a minor problem with the text character in the fact that he rides horses <laughs> and he's pasty white. Uh-huh. There you go. He's pasty white and he rides horses. <laughs> so where's the problem with that? Tell me. He's pasty white and he's always outside riding horses. Oh. Where's the problem with that? Well, he has long hair. He's pasty fucking white. Like he doesn't ever leave the house. Okay. That's just like how I notice in medieval set films that everyone's has bleached white teeth. Yeah. It's just, <laughs> it's just one of those things, yeah. you know, it's not here nor there. Uh, the crazy chick in Texas car where then, uh, when she ends up getting killed she's just screaming all over the place, just nonstop screaming. That's what I noticed in the new Harriet Tubman trailer was the main character who plays Harriet, you know, Octavia Spencer, whatever fucking not Octavia Spencer. Anyway, um, she had fucking perfect teeth. I'm I like, know. no. It, thro- it throws me out. Uh, okay. throws me out. All right. The Polanski-Tate living on Cielo Drive and the Manson thing, which was just brief. We see Charles Manson like once. That whole scene also felt like it was we were being force-fed it, like to throw us off type of thing. I, I, I didn't have a problem with it because I, I, I loved it. I, the reason why I loved it what was- What was the point of the scene? Because it was to make you think that he was going to be more in the movie and then he ends up not being in it at all. And it was, right, it was but a part it, of the whole misdirection thing. Right, but the whole the whole idea. Look, I understand that it could have been done better. That's it. It just didn't. That scene didn't work because he pulls up and he parks his Twinkie truck outside, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And instead of going up to the gate or whatever, and then walking up, and he's they still had to open the gate, which he managed to bypass. So, like like I said, that he's planning an Armageddon, man. You don't think he can get through a gate? <laughs> Nobody could get through that fucking gate. They literally had to open the gate for everybody. I don't know. I didn't think that much into it. <laughs> I, you know, and then, um, like I said, it just, uh, um, it, it felt like a throwaway scene. The, the minor, it's minor shit. Like the Sharon Tate going to the movie thing. It's minor. It's, 
it, it doesn't affect the movie overall. In fact, it adds to the movie. Yeah. But it's just something that didn't work. The, the whole Bruce Dern scene at Spawn Ranch felt like it was just a throw. It was just an add on. It was just like the last minute and he, and he added Bruce Dern because of, of, you know, because of the Burt Reynolds thing. I think it, yeah. Also that was, <laughs> that was an intentional misdirection to make you think that there was going to be the Sharon Tate murders happening. And that's why they, they wanted you to see the spawn ranch. Right. But you could, but it, he was telegraphing throughout the whole movie that it was going to happen through the whole movie. Yeah. Now that we've seen it, I mean, hindsight being what it is, he mm-hmm. was telegraphing throughout the whole movie that I've got to repeat myself, but, that's how he did it, and you know the, these these three throwaway scenes where you see Manson. They mention Manson, Santa Santa Barbara, and the Spawn Ranch. Yeah, but other than that, the focus was mainly on DiCaprio and Pitt and their life and whatever else. And you're kind of waiting for it to happen, and it never happens. Yeah, you know, and that's fine. But like I said, there's this there's we're stretching on the what didn't work. And you know, then for me, it was just those. It was just those minor things. Okay. In the feet. <laughs> yeah, I do. All right. So yeah, I, I've got nothing else, man. I and I, I had to pull out. I just, I had to pull out of my ass just to find it. So, all right. So, do we both recommend seeing this movie? Uh, well, yeah, I do. Especially, just don't expect the the typical Hollywood fucking fare, man. Is it memorable? Yes. Is it? Does it have a pop culture impact? Yes. I don't know if it does. I don't think it's as pop culturally uh, relevant as... It's made during a time period where people aren't looking at that time period. And it stands out big time amongst all the films that are being made right now. It stands out big time. It, well, it, no. It, yeah, it stands out, but it's, it doesn't have the pop culture impact of Pulp Fiction or Reservoir Dogs. <laughs> Absolutely not. It's, it, there is, there's nothing about this movie that is... Um, that puts it at, at that level. I think that after a few years go by and people look back at this year, this film will stand out big time amongst a bunch of shitty films. Again, you're missing the point of pop culture impact, <clears throat> which is... I, okay, I get it. I get it. Um, like, um, yeah, yeah I, I know what you mean by pop culture. Uh, Does it rank in, in terms of Clerks, Desperado, Pulp Fiction, Reservoir Dogs? No, no, no. Exactly. Nah, nah. That's that's what I'm talking about when nah. it comes to pop culture. Nah. Like you, the big five. This is a this is a this is a subcategory film. Like uh Jaws, E. T., Close Encounters, Star well, well, Wars, Pulp Fiction, Clerks, Desperado. Like when you think of great Tarantino films, this film would come up. But you, it, that's that's how it would fit into a subcategory. But it's memorable. Yeah. Re, is it uh repeatable? Yes. Repeatable viewing. Yes. Because um, I want to see more details every time I watch this. I can tell there's more to see. Buy on DVD. Yes. Would you recommend it for matinee? See it again. Wait for it on video. Don't bother. Save your money for something better. <sighs> Obviously. I recommend paying full money um, to see this because Tarantino put in the effort to make it good. So you should put in the effort to give him his money. Give him the money. Yep. Um, now, I, I can't recommend this for everybody because some people aren't going to get it. Uh, but overall, people like us, fucking A. Go see it. So. All right. All right. So. I would like to thank you, Mr. Tarantino. Thank you for making and continuing to make films that do not compromise your vision. With this film, you could have gone the studio way and made some ultra-graphic, high-intensity exploitation of the Manson murders. But instead, you surprised us with your own take on an over-glorified tragedy. You respected the victims who were portrayed here, and you respected 
the audience enough to do something different yet entertaining all the same. If only more were able and or capable of doing the same. Thank you. That's your outro. Fuck you, man. That's what. That's all you could come up with in your outro. I wanted to thank you. I wanted to say thank you. You motherfucker. That, that's, you're really going to... <laughs> Actually, that works perfectly. All right. It's, it's fine. I was, I was smiling. <laughs> I just like giving you shit. Yeah, no shit. <clears throat> um, that's it? Yeah, that's, that's perfect. Yeah, because it was like I already wrote a review for it, and so I was like, because at first I was thinking, well, you should have ended it with read my fucking review. Well, you just did. There you go. Read the fucking review. 